we're going to get through this. We're going to get through COVID. We're going to get through cancer. God is greater. God is bigger. God is stronger. One man said, I read the back of the book and we win. Amen. We're going to win. Amen. Paul, I believe it was, that said, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. I'm going to win either way. So God is good. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Interesting that that entire season was just named the provocation. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do all wait err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That phrase jumped out at me, and I hope to try to expound on this, but that phrase, while it is called today, is something that caught my attention. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, of course, we know Paul writing to the church at Corinth made this great observation. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation that's uh some interesting verbiage in that verse so i read some commentaries and also read uh, other translations and the niv says for he says in the time of my favor i heard you and in the day of salvation i helped you In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I want to speak uh, this morning on this subject. Today is the day. Today is the day is the day. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we are thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for your word. We pray, God, that you allow our hearts and minds to be open to it. Speak to us now, Lord, and we will respond in Jesus' name. We pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated and, and thank you for standing. In our text from Hebrews 3, that phrase, while it is called today, is something that intrigued me. And so I started thinking about it and wondering if there was coming a time when today would not be called today. And if there was, what would it be called? And is there a difference between day and today? Well, come to find out there is a difference between day and today. There is a difference because a day could be any day. 
fact, we even use that phrase. It could be any day now. So day is different than today. Day is just a time when the sun is out. It's a, a time that is opposite of darkness. But today refers to a particular period of time that we are now in. It is also a period of time, but it's more than just a time of sunshine. It is this 12-hour period that we now inhabit. And when the Bible speaks of today, it speaks of it in terms of an openness or an opportunity of right now. The Bible says, work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. So we live in a time of openness. We live in a time of opportunity. And I'm thankful that we live in a today. I'm glad that today is the day of salvation. But there is coming a time when the time frame that we inhabit will not be today. It will not be a time of opportunity or openness. It will be dark. Perhaps not physically uh, dark, but certainly spiritually dark. Somehow it seems like those days are coming rapidly. The writer of Hebrews says, exhort one another daily. So today is still an opportunity for salvation. Otherwise, the deceitfulness of sin can cloud the skies, block the sun, and shut down the season of favor. Last week in our Sunday morning service, we had an amazing word uh, from the Lord. We were speaking about uh, an attitude of gratitude and Dr. Myers gave a message in tongue and interpretation and a lady in our church, Sister uh, Jerry Kay, transcribed it so we could refer back to it in the future. I'm so glad she did. Most of the time that a message from the Lord uh, comes, it comes as an edification. And a lot of times uh, we hear it, we respond to it, we're thankful for it, but uh, we, we don't always have a, a chance to sort of go back and allow those words to sort of uh, marinate in our minds because... Uh, we, we're not able to uh, repeat it or know what it was word for word. But um, I'm thankful that uh, Sister Jerry was able to transcribe this word for word. And, and as Dr. Myers gave the message in tongues and interpretation, it was uh, a word of edification or an encouraging word. And uh, whenever that message was given, it was in alignment with what we were talking about. And these are the words that were spoken. Uh, Yea, I have loved you with a perfect love. I have brought you up from the pit. I have placed a robe upon you and a ring. I love that because that's what they did to Joseph. They put a robe on him and put a ring on him. Hallelujah. That's an identity. Hallelujah. That you are operating under the authority of the king of kings. How many of you glad when the Lord saves you, he changes your identity and gives you authority and power to live above sin? I've placed a robe upon you and a ring. I have been a faithful God. I have 
led you and healed you. How many of you can raise your hand and say, God has led you and healed you? You must look unto me with gratitude. You must worship me. You must not forget what I have done. You must not forget who I am. Oh, hallelujah. You must not forget what is coming on this earth. You will be lost if you don't remember who I am. I I think based upon the way that word came forth, that who I am is part and parcel with what I have done. When we remember who he is, we remember what he has done and can do. When I think about Jesus, I think about a God that's all powerful, that can do anything, that can make a way where there seems to be no way. I hope we don't ever forget we're not serving a God that's sick. We're not serving a God that's discouraged. We're not serving a God that's lost power. We're not serving a God that's in trouble. He is the mighty God in Christ. He is the everlasting Father. And He is the King of Kings. But then as we sort of allowed uh, that word last week, uh, it was in this 1045 service. And we just sort of uh, felt compelled to just let that sort of sink in. A word of prophecy came forth. And it was more exhorting uh, than it was um, edifying per se. Uh, thinking about edifying as being encouraging it was more about exhorting. Now you say, what is exhorting? The definition of exhorting is to strongly encourage someone to do something. When you exhort, you are strongly encouraging someone to do something. Sometimes pulpit ministry is encouraging. Sometimes it's exhorting. Sometimes it's admonishing. It's saying with all the the fervor and strength that we can muster up, the anointing of God being our help, that this is not just some option, but this is exhorting. This is strongly encouraging someone to do something. And uh, it was part of the The verses that we read in Hebrews to exhort one another daily. And so when this word came forth, it was more exhorting. And here's what it was. Yea, I say unto thee, judgment is coming. And it shall begin at the house of God. Do not think because you have served me in the past that you are ready to meet me in the future. You must examine your heart. Because judgment will come and I will judge every person according to their works, according to their faithfulness, according to how they live now and not how they lived in the past, according to what they are doing now and not what they have done years ago. You must look unto me. You must search your heart because I am coming soon. And I know your heart. I know who's faithful and I know who's not faithful. I know who's worldly. I know who has sin in their heart. I know who abides in the wrong places and looks at the wrong things and goes and does the wrong things. I know everything. Nothing is hid from me. But you must remember that I am still a judge. I am your savior, but I am also a judge and will judge the righteous in that day. You must examine yourself because the day is near. Now that type of message is unusual. And I didn't feel like that we could just skate by it without finding a way 
to sort of pause and to take that word into our spirit and to fully digest the urgency of that message. The last part of that message says, the day is near. Just before that, the message says, I will judge the righteous in that day. This can only mean that the term that day is referring to a day in the future. Today is right now. That day is still to come. It's referring to the day of judgment. So today is the day of salvation. But that day is a day of judgment. And that is what I believe the Lord was getting us to sort of think about and to prepare for is that we're in today which is the day of opportunity and openness but the day can become that day today can become that day we're living in a season of favor we're living in a time of opportunity but today will not always be the day it will become that day And favor will be turned to judgment. And opportunity will turn to recompense. And it's possible that we have been lured falsely into thinking and believing that until the rapture takes place, we have a day of salvation. That is not true. The children of Israel proved that's not true by the mere fact of what happened to them in 40 years in the wilderness. A time of favor... Is not just a collection of days on the calendar. It is determined by the condition of man's heart. It is determined by the condition of man's heart. The writer of Hebrews refers to the 40 years that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness as a time of provocation. Yet you can also say it was a time of favor in that God opened up the Red Sea, God delivered manna from heaven, God sent low-flying quail, God didn't allow their clothes to wear out for 40 years in the desert. But the writer of Hebrews says it was the provocation. Now the word provocation means the actions or speech that makes someone annoyed or angry, especially deliberately. So that it is likely to elicit a response or retaliation. Ladies and gentlemen, when we purposely forsake the words of God, we are provoking the Holy Ghost. Though we live in today, the day of favor, the day of openness. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. When that ark door was open, it was open. But there came a time that it shut. And when it shut, no man could open it. We live in a time of favor and blessing. We see it all around us. But ladies and gentlemen, we're not guaranteed that tomorrow will be today. It could change in a moment. It could change in an instant. And so, you've heard it. We've had all these message in tongues over the last few months. And God is trying to get us to get ready. It's all been about the coming of the Lord. We've heard message after message after message about the coming of the Lord. So I ask this great church today, what has to happen for us to really get serious about God's judgment? What has to happen? How many 
more people have to die? How many more people have to be lost in sin before God's people at the house of God say enough is enough? We've got to get a hold of God. We've got to get a hold of the horns of the altar. And so I believe the Lord has been speaking to the church. I believe these words speak to the church. When we purposely forsake the words of God, we are provoking the Holy Ghost. We are causing a season of opportunity to become a season of judgment. Today becomes that day. Favor becomes heartache. Children of Israel came out of Egypt. Came out of Egypt. They came through the Red Sea, and there was all this favor. There was this miraculous. We were all inspired by that. Even at the first part of this year, when I thought back over this year, which seems like more than a year, but it was just January. It seems crazy. It was just January that we had our vision casting Sunday, and we talked about the power of the east wind that blew open the Red Sea, and and how that. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And as a church, we want to represent that and, and how it was the east wind that blew in and brought them man and brought them the quail. And, and God is not only a God of power that opens up a Red Sea and, and causes his people to walk over on dry ground, but he's also a God that will provide for us in the desert. And, and then we also saw where the children of Israel moved toward the east to move to their promise. And the Bible says that we have to look up uh, toward the eastern sky. Our redemption draweth nigh and that God is coming back in the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And so we thought of all of that and we said we want to be known as East Wind Pentecostal Church because we serve a God of power and provision and promise. He is a God that blows with an east wind and the wind represents the Spirit of God and we have been filled with the Spirit of God and we have the Holy Ghost upon us and we're on the east coast and the wind blows off the ocean so we became East Wind Pentecostal Church. But I've been lately. I have been uh, just sort of pricked in my spirit that maybe we, as East Wind, just grabbed a hold of the good parts of what happened in the desert without exhorting one another. I'd rather exhort you now than before. It's too late, and the door's closed. I'd rather exhort you now while the door is wide open. Well, I can still preach that today is the day of salvation. Because there'll come a time when I won't be able to preach it. But while I can, and while I've got strength, and God's given me a mind to interpret the scripture, I can proclaim to this body, there is a God that loves us enough to exhort us, to convict us. East wind brought supernatural deliverance but the miracles turned to the mundane for the children of Israel and the mundane became missed opportunities to the point that God said this generation is not going over the Jordan they're not going into that rest so I got to thinking about that is it possible that this generation has seen too much that God's got to call another generation Is it possible that we've just wandered in the wilderness for so long that we've lost our desire for the promised land? We look around us and we've become too comfortable with the world we live in or we we look back toward Egypt like the children of Israel did. They forgot about all the pain of, of sin and strife and all of that 
being in captivity and the whips on their back and the sores and the scars and the humiliation. They forgot about what Egypt had done to them. And they said, oh, we miss the flesh pots. We miss the leeks and all of the good eating that we had in Egypt. Oh, but have you forgotten the pain and the misery and the 400 years of crying out in desperation? Have we been delivered from sin for so long that we have forgot the pain of what it does when a person is addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography and the pain of what it does to families that deal with the addictions of the flesh and and all the hurt and all the heartache. Have we been removed from it so long that we have forgotten? Oh, I pray that God would help us to still be amazed at the power of God. To still look up to the heavens, hallelujah, from whence cometh our help. To look under the hills and to know that God is still a God that's providing. That God is still a God that's opening up the Red Sea. That God is still a God that's bringing water from the rock. The message that we received last week, it said that we should examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. Now that's not a comfortable process. This is not anything that anybody enjoys. We don't want to do it on a natural level, much less a spiritual level. I read a report the other day that said that COVID is affecting men more severely than women because as men, we don't like to go to a doctor. We have to be half dead before we ever reach out for help. Certainly my friend Tom Foster, the pastors in Dallas, told me And he got right up to the edge of death and and God brought him back. But he said, my problem was I I just became a a cave dweller and pulled up the covers over my head and took NyQuil and Alka-Seltzer Plus and and just went to bed for three days thinking I just had a cold. And finally, after the third day, his son, who's an EMT, came in and opened the door and said, Dad, get dressed. You're going to the hospital. By that point, he was almost too far gone. He said, it was my own fault. He said, I waited too long before I cried out for help. Oh, God, help us. There's something more deadly than COVID. It's called sin. God, help us that we don't wait too long before we call out for help. Jesus, I need you. I'm preaching to somebody today that today is your day. Today is the day. Today is salvation. Don't wait too long because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I went to a dermatologist the other day to make sure I didn't have skin cancer. And he wanted to examine. I'm going to do an examination. I said, okay. You know, these hospitals, they, these doctors, you lose all sense of modesty, decentness, dignity. It's gone. Then I'm going to have to examine all of your skin. And then brought me something like a paper towel. That was supposed to be my cover. I mean, you talk about awkward. You talk about uncomfortable. That examination could not have gone any slower. I think time just stood still. I felt like Joshua out there on the battlefield. And I'm thinking, okay, that ought to do it. And uh, I was ready to go. And then he wanted to look in between my toes. And I'm thinking, is it really necessary to look in between the toes? 
And meanwhile, he's asking me all these questions. Do you put on sunscreen? I said, yes, sir. I, I hate being in the sun. I'm always looking for shade. Now, when I was younger, it was a different story, but not anymore. I'm, I'm always looking for shade. My wife's younger than me. She loves the sun, worships the sun, wants to be in the sun, not me. If you see us on vacation, she's in the sun. I'm under a big umbrella. He said, you know, 90% of skin cancer comes from the sun. I said, I didn't know that, but I know it now. He said, well, you need to think about that. I said, well, I don't really get out in the sun a whole lot. When I was a kid, I used to get sunburned pretty bad. I'd get out there and be on the beach and surfing and playing in the water and all that. And I wouldn't even wear sunscreen. I wouldn't wear anything. I'd just play and play and play. And then the next day, I'd have water blisters where the where the sun bleached or burnt me too bad. He said, you know, it never goes away. And I said, well, it's a good thing. I'm, I'm trying to find something to be positive about. I said, well, it's a good thing I'm half Italian. I'm dark-complected, so I don't have to worry about it too much. He said, you know Bob Marley? I said, I've heard of him. He's like a singer or songwriter or something. He said, well, he's darker than you are. And he got one spot. On the bottom of his foot. And he wouldn't get it looked at. And he died from it. It was skin cancer and he got up in his bloodstream. I said, are you sure it was a spot on his foot? Are you sure it wasn't stuff that he was ingesting in his lungs? He said, I'm sure. It was a spot on the bottom of Bob Marley's foot. That took him out. And all I could think about was that verse in the Bible that said he's coming back for a church without spot. And I thought, Lord, what if I've got a spot? I've got an unresolved issue. I've got an attitude. i got something I got crossed up with somebody somewhere. And that spot is going to knock me out of heaven. My doctor said, don't think because you're Italian or that you've been sun blistered since you were young that you're exempt. All you have to do is to be exposed to the sun one time, longer than you should be without protection, and that's all it takes. Boy, I got to thinking about the message from the Lord last week. Judgment is coming, and it shall begin at the house of God. It wasn't for sinners, it was for the church. Judgment is coming. And it shall begin at the house of God. Do not think because you have served me in the past that you are ready to meet me in the future. You must examine your heart because judgment will come and I will judge every person according to their works, according to their faithfulness, according to how they live now and not how they lived in the past, according to what they are doing now and not what they have done years ago. It doesn't matter if you have served God for 50 years. I just turned 57 years old. I got the Holy Ghost when I was 7 years old. I have served God for 50 years with the Holy Ghost on board and it doesn't guarantee me anything. All it takes is one spot. How do you get that one spot from being exposed? I thought, oh God, help us. We can get a spot on our heart, in our spirit, if we just get exposed to sin for too long in the wrong place, in the wrong environment. Oh, you got to get rid of it all. You got to put it all under the blood. You got to say, God, I need you. I'm going to examine myself so that I'm ready to meet the Lord. So then the doctor said to me, I'm not making any of this up. You can ask my wife. He said, you need to examine yourself once a month. I said, okay. He said, 
you need to get in the shower, examine all your skin. I said, well, I, I can't see my back. He said, well, you need to have your wife help me, help you. And I thought, well, okay. But then I got to thinking of the spiritual implication. If examining your back or examining this physical body is hard and requires others to help you, how much more do we need each other to help us examine our soul that we can't see with the naked eye? How much more do we need the Word of God to help examine the condition of our heart? Oh, I'm thankful for the people of God. I am thankful for the Word of God. And I am thankful for the house of God because I need you and you need me and we need each other. If I get a spot, I need somebody to say, hey, you need to go have that looked at. Hey, you need to get to the altar. Hey, you're not, you're not like you used to be. You need to get more joy. You need to get more power. You got to get back to your first love. We need to exhort one another daily. God's made us part of the body of Christ. He referred to the church as a body. Oh, and I got to thinking how important it is to be with God's people. I know there's, there's things that limit people from coming to the house of the Lord, and people that have immune systems that have been compromised, and people that have to just watch the service online, others that are, are in states that are restricted. We get so many letters, and we get so many encouraging correspondence from people from out of state that are watching our services online. I'm so thankful for our online church. But oh, it's nothing like being in the house of God. And I, I wondered about that. I, 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 I talked by text with Brother Frank a few days ago and just checking on him and said, you doing okay? And he said, yeah. And he goes, I'm excited. This is my good week. I'm, I'm off treatment. I'm at that period of time when the body's recovered. So this is my good week. He said, I can't wait to be in the house of God on Sunday. I talked to Steve Gailey the other day who has an inoperable brain tumor. has been going through treatment and, and chemo and radiation and all this. And he said, Pastor, he said, I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone. You're my pastor. But he said, I miss being in the house of God. I miss being with the people of God. Oh, there's something powerful about God's people. That's why you can't duplicate it on the internet. Don't let the enemy convince you that you can be a spiritual hermit and get to heaven all by yourself. God made you as a part of the church. God gave you a family. God gave you a body. We got to exhort one another daily. We got to encourage one another daily. We've got to look out for one another on a daily basis. Don't get a false sense of security that you're fine, that everything is okay, that somehow we're entitled to go to heaven. No, it only takes one time, only one sin, just one spot, just one wrinkle. Don't expose yourself to sin. It's too dangerous. I truly believe the children of Israel went off track because of what they exposed themselves to. 
That message that went forth last week was, I know the places you go and the things that you see. Oh, my friend, don't fill up your brains. Don't let your family, your kids fill up their brains with sin. Watching, 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 digesting, digesting, digesting. Don't do it. Don't expose yourself to all of it. Because you don't realize it, but it puts spots on your spirit and in your mind and in your attitude and in your heart. You get exposed to the children of Israel started out as the people of God, the favor of God, the miraculous power of God. But then what happened? While Moses, their leader, was up on the mountain in the presence of God, glory shining off of him. Had to put a a veil in front of his face because the glory of God was so strong. Getting the Ten Commandments. But at the foot of the mountain, they were building a golden calf. It's not enough to just be in the vicinity of a spiritual atmosphere. You can say, well, I'm fine. I go to church. But you can go to church and be lost. Oh, you got to be careful. What happens when you're not in the house of God? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What are you exposing yourself? You can be at the foot of the cross and be casting lots like the Roman soldiers did. You can be at the foot of Mount Sinai where the word of God and the glory of God is going forth. And you can lose out because of your exposure to sin. Just one spot on the bottom of your foot is all it takes. Yeah, the children of Israel, they started building a golden calf. And I wondered why did they do that while Moses was on the mountain? It wasn't their custom. It was not their tradition. Where did they get the idea to build a golden calf? They learned it by watching the Egyptians. That was the Egyptians' culture. That was not the children of Israel. With each spot of Egypt, they shut the door on the promised land. Though they were delivered physically couldn't get delivered emotionally spiritually mentally they kept looking back because of the spots the wrinkles it's not enough that they were the children of Israel it wasn't enough that they were in a time frame of favor it changed and it became known as the provocation rather than the power or the provision or the promise It became the provocation. Is it possible for East Wind that are now less than one year under the banner of this name to move from promise to provision, power, only to fall into provocation where our actions anger God? Say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because of the message that we received just last week from the throne of God do we just want our ears to be tickled do we want to just go through the motions or is there a desire to be saved I'm crazy enough to believe that every person under the sound of my voice wants to go to heaven and you're willing to fight for it and you're willing to defend your family and you're willing to defend your mind and your thoughts and your eyes I come today with all the strength that I have to exhort you to examine yourselves. It was the condition of their heart that determined their destiny. As one door closes, another opens. The next generation rose up. As the Jews rejected Jesus, 
the door open to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. Our past does not guarantee our future. And for some of us, that may be sobering. But to others, that may be hopeful. Today is the day. Because regardless of who your parents were or what your background is, if you're living under a bridge and dealing with drugs and alcohol, today is the day of salvation. Your past does not have to be your future. Key is what do you do with this moment? For the person who has the heritage of spiritual favor and to the one who has been forsaken. The same is true to each one of those people. Today is the day. This is the moment that God has given us. What will you do with this moment? What will you do with this message? Paul was testifying before King Agrippa and the Roman governor, a man by the name of Festus, in Caesarea by the sea, a city that the Romans inhabited that Herod built for them because they hated that Middle Eastern area, all the sand and the heat, and so built them a beautiful city on the water with a huge harbor, and, and the Romans hung out there, and the governor of Festus had gone up to Jerusalem, but then he went back to Caesarea by the sea, and they were holding Paul captive because he had appealed unto Caesar. And then King Agrippa and Bernice came, and they were Jews, but they were backslidden. And they said, well, while we're here, we'll hear him as well. And Festus said, we've got some unfinished business. We've got a man here by the name of Paul that's left over from Felix, the governor. We, he is appealed into Caesar, and I, I'm going to give him uh, audience. And some of the Jews have come down. They've made accusations against him. And Agrippa said, I think I'll sit in on it as well. I'm kind of curious. I've heard about this guy as well. So all of the accusers and those that railed on him from Jerusalem all came up, and then they said, Paul, you can speak for yourself now. And he said, I'm happy to do it. I think myself happy. <laughs> Good God, oh my. Oh, I would to God, the church of the living God, would think themselves happy and say, everything may be going down, but I got a God that's going to take me up. I think myself happy. I want to give my testimony. He gave his testimony. He shared what he had gone through and how he had converted to Christianity. It was powerful. It was anointed. It was irrefutable. Acts chapter 26 records it word for word. And the Roman governor attacks his delivery because he could not attack the substance of his testimony. And he declares, Paul, much learning hath made thee mad. You've lost your mind. He said, no, I'm not mad, old most noble Festus. Paul says, King Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. Don't you, King Agrippa? This thing was not done in a corner. Oh, God has made it available to whosoever will. You can't be living in America and have breath in your lungs and not know who Jesus is. This thing was not done in a corner. You know what I'm talking about, King Agrippa. You know what I'm saying. And the Jewish king cannot deny, but instead he utters these fateful words that have been repeated throughout the years, if not verbally in our spirits. Mm. In 40 years of ministry, I've heard it many times, though perhaps not spoken. Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Preacher, 
almost you persuaded me. I almost got baptized this morning. Whoa, I mean, for a while I wasn't sure, but I had to kind of gather my... But almost I went to the altar. Almost I got a miracle. Almost I made a decision. Almost, preacher, almost. Mm. When the enemy of your soul has no more bullets in his gun, when he cannot dispute the clarity of the gospel... His last line of defense is to get you to pause and to lose the urgency of the moment. To get you concerned about taking the baby out the back door, though the baby's not crying. To all of a sudden feel like your bladder needs to empty itself. That's why at the end of a message, as conviction, just like right now, hangs over an audience, you'll see people start to get jittery. We're not sure quite what to do with it. Can I tell you what it is? It's the loving draw of a God. Come. 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 That's the conviction of the Holy Ghost. But the enemy wants to try to turn the urgency into complacency. He wants you to shake off the conviction and to somehow think that you can find a more convenient season. Can I remind you today? There is no more convenient season today is the day of salvation there's never going to be a better moment than right now there's never going to be a better opportunity than right now would you stand to your feet all over this building oh in the name of jesus he shall call tarobosia I'm asking you today to examine yourself. I'm asking you to turn the spotlight of God's word upon your own heart and spirit. And ask yourself, am I ready to meet the Lord? If the trumpet sounds today, am I ready to meet the Lord? Whether you want to come to this altar, this altar is open. Or whether you want to pray in your pew, it is up to you. But here's what I am asking you to do. I'm asking you to lift up your voice today. And to call out to God with a sense of urgency. I don't want you to get in a corner and mumble. I want you to lift up your hands and I want you to lift up your voice. And would you cry out to God? Come on, would you cry out to the Lord with a sense of urgency? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that the Lord hath made. Oh, that's it. East wind, lift up your voice. Don't wait for the judgment. Worship Him in the midst of favor.
nothing else.